You are now listening to the Rose of Sharon Church Podcast. It is our prayer that God challenges your heart during this week's message. If you would like to let us know what God is doing in your life, please email us at rostnshare at gmail.com. We're glad you're here. Welcome home to Rose of Sharon Church. Just kind of hang with me while we read through this. I know we have chili, and we have homemade chicken noodle soup, and I did wear a watch, so we're going we're gonna to see how this goes. I talk for a living. <laughs> Sometimes nine hours in a row, but we're not staying that long tonight. <laughs> we're not staying that long tonight. So let's read verse 18. But God shows His anger from heaven against all sinful, wicked people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. They know the truth about God because He has made it obvious to them. For ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and the sky. Through everything God made, they can clearly see His invisible qualities, His eternal power and His divine nature. So they have no excuse for not knowing God. Yes, they know God, but they wouldn't worship Him as God or even give Him thanks. And they began to think up foolish ideas of what God was like. As a result, their minds became dark and confused. Claiming to be wise, they became utter fools. And instead of worshiping the glorious, ever-living God, they worshiped idols made to look like mere people and birds and animals and reptiles. Sounds like 2016, doesn't it? I'm telling you. What's that they say? People change, but not much. It's pretty true. So God abandoned them to do whatever shameful things their hearts desired. As a result, they did vile and degrading things with each other's bodies. They traded the truth about God for a lie. They worshipped and served the things God created instead of the Creator Himself who is worthy of eternal praise. Amen. That's a good place to say amen, because even the Bible says amen. That is why God abandoned them to their shameful desires. Even the women turned against the natural way to have sex and instead indulged in sex with each other. Men, instead of having normal sexual relations with women, burned with lust for each other. Men did shameful things with other men, and as a result of this sin... They suffered within themselves the penalty they deserved. Since they thought it foolish to acknowledge God, He abandoned them to their foolish thinking and let them do things that should never be done. Their lives became full of every kind of wickedness. Sin, greed, hate, envy, murder, quarreling, deception, malicious behavior, and gossip. They are backstabbers, haters of God, insolent, proud, and boastful. They invent new ways of sinning. And they disobey their parents. They refuse to understand, break their promises, are heartless, and have no mercy. They know God's justice requires that those who do these things deserve to die, yet they do them anyway. Worse yet, they encourage others... To do them too. Now we're going to stop there just a second. 
How many of you know, hopefully everyone in this room, because Pastor Tim said this not very long ago, when the Bible was written, it did not have chapters and verses. And so if you want to understand what the Bible is saying, you cannot just open it up, pick a verse, and say, okay, that's all there is to that. It doesn't work that way. We don't read any other book that way. And so I don't really understand why we read the Bible that way, but we like to pick and choose exactly uh, certain scriptures for us and maybe one here and maybe one there and we build doctrines off those things and all kinds of twisted things begin to happen. And so if you really want to understand the Bible, you need to read it in its context. And so you need to follow chapter by chapter and see what was the writer trying to say. What was his point of everything that's going on? And so Romans chapter 1 is a great preaching topic for a lot of pastors because it talks about things that we see in today's world. Homosexuality and the way that it's run rampant in the world. That's a big thing that's in this chapter. There's a lot of other sins that, uh, that equate to things that are going on today. But that's not the end of the thought. That's not where he stopped. Let's go to chapter 2. Before we read that, I'm going to say, uh, I'm going to go back to chapter 1. We finished up by saying that though they know God's justice requires that those who do these things deserve to die, yet they do them anyway. Worse yet, they encourage others to do them too. You may think you can condemn such people, but you are just as bad. And you have no excuse. When you say they are wicked and should be punished, you're condemning yourself. For you who judge others do the same things. Mm. Paul just let the hammer down. Okay? Because you need to understand, Romans was not written to people who were not saved. Romans was written to Roman Christians. Paul addressed that in the very beginning of chapter 1. And so all the sins he just went through was describing the culture they lived in and all the things going on around them in their church. And yet he flows right on into chapter 2 and says, and you're always putting those people down and you're doing the same thing. So I'm not saying that he is saying the sins are okay, that he listed in chapter 1. He's not saying that at all, but that wasn't the point. The point was that the Roman Christians were condemning and criticizing the non-believers all around them while they're doing the same exact thing. That's called a hypocrite. Jesus had his most strong words. For hypocrites, church people, religious leaders who said they were one thing and they lived another way. Those were Jesus' harshest words in all of Scripture. When you read how Jesus dealt with people, the ones who were in the deepest sin that you can imagine, He treated them with more compassion than He did the church people. 
because they felt as though they had it all together and that everybody else around them, and yet they're doing the same exact thing. So let's read on to what Paul had to say. He said, and so we know that God, in, in verse 2, in His justice will punish anyone who does such things. Since you judge others for doing these things, why do you think you can avoid God's judgment when you do the same things? He said, don't you see how wonderfully kind, tolerant, and patient God is with you? Does this mean nothing to you? Can't you see that His kindness is intended to turn you from your sin? Paul's talking to them and telling them, that they can't go and profess the name of Christ and profess to be Christians and condemn all the people around them for all the things that they're doing that are wrong when they have the very same things going on in their life. And the church of today in 2016 is full of the same kind of Christians. And so if you want to know who's killing Christianity, let's read a little bit further. Verse 17, we're skipping down, and Paul says, You who call yourself Jews are relying on God's law, and you boast about your special relationship with Him. You know what He wants. You know what is right because you've been taught His law. You are convinced that you are a guide for the blind and a light for people who are lost in darkness. You think you can instruct the ignorant, and teach children the ways of God. For you are certain that God's law gives you complete knowledge and truth. Well then, if you teach others, why don't you teach yourself? Paul's just blunt. You tell others not to steal, but do you steal? You say it's wrong to commit adultery, but do you commit adultery? You condemn idolatry, but do you use items that were stolen from pagan temples? Mm. Mm. You are so proud of knowing the law, but you dishonor God by breaking it. No wonder the scriptures say, and here's our answer. The Gentiles blaspheme the name of God because of you. You know who's killing Christianity of today? The Christians. The people outside the church look at the church and think the church is a joke. Because of the way the people who claim to be Christians live. The biggest, the biggest hurt to the church of today is, is, is not what's going on outside in our culture and the shifting things. of Because see, we don't live in an atmosphere that hasn't already existed before. People need to realize, especially Christians, that the early church lived in the same kind of situations that we do. 
If you had any history in school, you would know that the Roman Empire was about as evil as they come. The early church blossomed in that environment. And today's church is crumbling in the same environment. So what's causing that? Why is it that Christians, it has to do with our walk. And so we've got a couple of things we're going to talk about. I'm not real big on uh, points one, two, and three and all those things because, Lord, we would be here all day. So I just normally kind of stick to one idea and let's just learn that and then we'll go from there. I learned a long time ago that it's not good to have a big list of all your points and subpoints and everything else because I'll be on one. I'm kind of like, right, Pastor? You get on one, next thing you know, time's over and, and you didn't make it there. So I just stick with pretty much one. Uh, I, I've, got, I've got two thoughts out of this. They all have to do with this, uh, this one idea about how we are, are, are killing Christianity ourselves. And so... The first thing is this, we need to learn the Word of God. The problem with the people that Paul's talking to and the people of today that we're talking about is that we only know little bits and pieces. You can't memorize Psalm 23. John 3.16, and think that everything's good. You need a little more than that. And you can't just go through and pick and choose a verse here and a verse there. You actually need to sit down and read. In context, a whole book at a time. Listen, when Paul wrote this Roman letter, it's a letter. It's divided up into chapters, but it's a letter. He wrote it and sent it in the mail, whatever kind of mail they had. He sent it in the mail. It's a letter. When we sit down to write a letter to someone, which isn't that often anymore, people just don't write letters anymore, but if you were to sit down and write a letter, would you expect the person that you wrote it to to just read little bits and pieces here and there and actually understand what you were trying to say to them? And so the Bible's the same exact way. Matter of fact, it's God's letter completely to us. But when we take small pieces like the Roman letter, if we only read little bits and pieces, we don't really get a good idea of what Paul's trying to say and what his whole thought is all about. And like most good writers, if you actually go all the way to the last chapter, you actually find out he tells you why he wrote the letter. But you'll never find that if you don't read that far. So if you get stuck on Romans chapter 1, then you start condemning everybody around you because of all the sins you just read about, but you forgot to read Romans chapter 2 where Paul said, you do the same thing, so why are you, why are you condemning anyone? Then you've missed his point. Do you see what I'm saying? And so it's important that we, that we study, that we learn the Word. Okay? Uh, I want to read just a little bit more of this chapter before we move on to uh, another chapter here in Romans toward the end of the book. In verse 28, he says, For you're not a true Jew just because you were born of Jewish parents or because you've gone through the ceremony of circumcision. 
I want to explain that. Pastor Tim's done a good job explaining circumcision here lately in the book of Ephesians. Also written by Paul. No, a true Jew is one whose heart is right with God. And true circumcision is not merely obeying the letter of the law. Rather, it is a change of heart produced by God's Spirit. And a person with a changed heart seeks praise from God and not from people. So Paul's cluing us in that the answer to all of this, because these were people who knew the Old Testament. They knew the law. They knew what the law said they should do, should not do. And that's what he was talking about in chapter 1. All the things that God said we should not be involved with. He said, you know all these things, but yet you have a problem not doing them. He said, if you want to be what you consider to be a true Jew, it's going to reflect in the way that you live. The way that you act, you're going to have a changed heart, changed by the Spirit, and that is how that you will become a true Jew. Let's flip a few chapters, and I want to read something in, in chapter 13. Because not only do we need to, to begin understanding and reading the Scriptures and understanding exactly what it is, and, and I'm trying to keep from, from getting too far off into all that because then we'll spend too much time there, and I want to get to some other things. Um, He's talking a lot about the law and about obeying the law and that sort of thing. But he goes on in the next few chapters and says, the law, that, that's been fulfilled. And he starts talking about faith. And he starts talking about how that we're saved through our faith and not by the way that, that we behave necessarily because then it becomes works. And, and he gets into all of that. And I don't want to get into all of that too much because that's a long conversation to get into as well. The point here is that we are looking for that change that comes from the Holy Spirit. And he goes on to talk about how that we're not slaves to sin anymore, but we're still slaves. We're now slaves to righteousness. So it's not that we can just do whatever we want to and then still expect everything to be okay between us and the Lord. But he said what happens is your heart got changed and now you want to do what the Lord wants you to do. And he says, in that respect, you're still a slave, but now you're a slave to living right. Come on, come on. Instead of being a slave to living in sin. He said, you don't have to live that way anymore, but your, your spirit man is now wanting to do what the Lord has told you to do. And so it's not that you're trying to live by the law, but you're living by faith that the Holy Spirit's going to help you to live the way that the Lord wants you to live. Okay. Now let's move on. 13, verse 8. Paul says, Owe nothing to anyone except for your obligation to love one another. He said, If you love your neighbor, you will fulfill the requirements of God's law. I think Jesus kind of said the same thing. He said, What's the most important commandment? That first, you have to love the Lord with everything you have. And then second, you have to love your neighbor like yourself. 
and doesn't mean your next door neighbor. It could. But neighbor uh, reaches out and, and involves more than that. And neighbor doesn't just involve believers either. I'll just throw this in as a little side nugget. Because in the same passage we're going to finish on in a few minutes, Jesus went ahead and talked about that. And he said, you know what? If you're only friendly to people that are friendly to you, that doesn't do any good. Everybody is friendly to people that are friendly to them. Christians, non-Christians, it doesn't matter. You're all, everyone's friendly to their friends. He said, when you're friendly to someone who doesn't like you, then you're showing something to the world. Mm. Mm. All right. That's a hard one right there. For the commandments say, you must not commit adultery, you must not murder, you must not steal, you must not covet. These and other such commandments, they're all summed up in one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to others. So love fulfills the requirements of God's law. It's all about us having the love of God inside us. And when that happens, and we begin to display that, we don't have to always worry about, am I doing everything just right? Yes, we're still going to mess up from time to time and things are going to happen. What he's saying is that love, when we begin showing that love of God to the others that are around us, we're fulfilling everything that God expects from us. We don't have to wonder. And then he goes on and he says, This is all the more urgent for you know how late it is. Time is running out. <coughs> Wake up, he said. For our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is almost gone. The day of salvation will soon be here. So remove your dark deeds like dirty clothes. Put on the shining armor of right living. Now who did we say that Paul wrote this letter to? To believers. He's simply saying there's some believers with some really nasty clothes on. It's time to get rid of that stuff. And he said, put on the shining armor of right living because we belong to the day. We must live decent lives for all to see. Hmm. Don't participate in the darkness of wild parties, drunkenness, Sexual promiscuity, immoral living, quarreling, jealousy. Mm. Instead, here's the key. Clothe yourself with the presence of the Lord. If Christians in today's world if we would dig into God's Word and really begin to understand God's plan, His kingdom, 
what he expects from us, the power that he enables us with, and begin to find the Lord's heart for our world and understand how the scriptures tie together and how that they are a message of the Lord's love from beginning to end and how that he wants to redeem mankind. If we would begin really studying and understand these things and then each day get up and clothe ourselves with the presence of the Lord. So that when we walk, wherever it is that we're going for the day, we don't even have to tell people anything about our beliefs, that we're a Christian, that we're a, that we're a follower of Jesus, what church we go to, or anything else. People just know. That's how the presence of the Lord works. That's what Paul talked about in Romans 1. He said, I don't care who it is and what they say about whatever sin they're involved in. They know on the inside of them what's right and wrong because God made it that way. You can't help but recognize the presence and the hand of the Lord. And so if we as believers clothe ourselves in the Lord's presence each day, then we will go out and be an effective witness for the Lord. You see, there's our other problem we're running into. First, we don't know the Word of God that well, and so we pick and choose a few things. And then whenever we get confronted with someone who simply says, oh, well, you know that Jesus said, don't judge. Okay, so how do you answer that person? The majority of Christians don't know what to say. Because Jesus did say that. Those exact words, he did say that. He said some more. <laughs> but if you hadn't read the word, you don't know that. So how do you present to someone who's not a believer what Jesus was talking about? You understand that? And so we run into people like that, and the Bible also teaches us that we should be prepared to share our faith. And to give an answer to anyone. And the Holy Spirit helps us with those things. But the Holy Spirit kind of needs something to work with. Okay? It's just like, it's like I told my kids when they talk about taking tests in school. And, and I, had, I used to youth pastor before uh, I started leading uh, worship. And uh, I would talk to some of those kids as well in, in, in a church that I was in. And... Uh, we would talk about, you know, you got any prayer requests? And kids are always asking, I've got a test tomorrow. I need, I need prayer for this test tomorrow. I need the Lord to help me on this test. And so I, I would say, have, have you studied? Do you, do you know anything about what's going to be on this test? Because I'm telling you, the Lord is not going to miraculously give you all these answers that, of, nothing, of something you don't know anything about. He just, he just doesn't do that. He could, but... He doesn't. He expects you to put in some effort, and then you know what? The Lord can help you to remember things. Absolutely. The Word of God is the same way. If you don't read it, you have nothing to draw from. The Holy Spirit has nothing to work with. And so now you're confronted with someone who has all these questions or all these condemnations about Christianity, and you don't know what to tell them. And so because of that, Christianity is dying. 
It used to be in the past that Christians would know how to answer people because they were faithful about reading the Word. Studying and memorizing and reading and trying to understand the Bible. And so they would, they would know and they could just quote scriptures to you and be able to give you uh, answers if you had questions about things. And now we, we run into Christians who have no idea how to answer someone. And trust me, there are plenty of, of, of false accusations going out from non-believers. And the answers I see some Christians giving back just blows my mind because that's not even what the Bible says. And that's exactly what's going on with Christianity today. We need to understand what the Lord's actually said. Because every situation that we, that we encounter in today's world, and it changes daily. It's gotten to the point where I can, I can see the news and I'm not even surprised hardly anymore. One day it's clowns, and you know, last week it was bathrooms. And, I mean, it's just it's like one thing after another. Someone's upset about something, and, and then it created a big conflict, and now the entire country's talking about it, and it's all over the news, and then tomorrow, it's something new. I notice the clowns are gone now, so I don't know. <laughs> Until the new movie comes out, they're doing a remake of it, so when that happens, I guess, I guess it'll be back. I don't know. So if we would dig into the Word, we would begin to get some answers for some of these things. But beyond that, we need to wake, to wake up every day, and we need to put on the presence of the Lord. How important is that? We're going to go all the way back to the beginning of the Bible. The very, very beginning in Genesis. Genesis chapter 4, and talk about a man. I got asked a question about this man this morning. One of the kids asked me where Cain got his wife from. <laughs> okay. So before Cain finds his wife, let's talk about the story before that. Verse 8, one day Cain suggested to his brother, let's go out into the fields. And we all know this story. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother, Abel, and he killed him. Afterward, the Lord asked Cain, where's your brother? Where's Abel? I don't know, Cain responded. Am I my brother's keeper? But the Lord says, what have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Now you are cursed and banished from the ground, which has swallowed your brother's blood. No longer will the ground yield good crops for you, no matter how hard you work. From now on, you will be a homeless wanderer on the earth. Now, before we read the next verse, I want, to, I want to point something out. 
the Lord's describing the punishment that Cain's about to go through for committing the first murder. He killed his brother. And the Lord said, let's go through that once more. He said, you're cursed. Vanished from the ground. He said, the ground will never give good crops for you anymore. No matter how hard you work, you're not going to be able to grow anything. And you're going to be a homeless wanderer on the earth. Pretty severe punishment. A lot of things going on there. What I want you to notice out of this, out of all these things that the Lord has listed, okay, and they're all very severe, if it were you or I, which would be maybe the most hurtful to us? Maybe because we can't make a living anymore, can't grow food. Remember, this is early. This is Adam and Eve. They got some kids. That's pretty much it. There's no one else. If you're going to live, you have to eat. If you can't grow any food, you have to find another way to eat. Cain can't stay where he's been staying because the Lord said you've got to go. And so out of all these things, any number of them could have been the most hurtful to, to you or I. But listen to what Cain has to say. Cain replied to the Lord, My punishment is too great for me to bear. You've banished me from the land and from your presence. You have made me a homeless wanderer. Anyone who finds me will kill me. The Lord replied, No, for I will give a sevenfold punishment to anyone who kills you. And so the Lord put a mark on Cain to warn anyone who might try to kill him. So Cain left the Lord's presence and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. What was the most hurtful thing to Cain? It was the loss of the Lord's presence. Cain realized from the very beginning that nothing matters more than having the Lord with you. If today's Christians could only begin to understand that nothing matters more in this life than having the presence of the Lord with us each day. We would be like the early Christians who it was said of them that they turned the world upside down. That's what it says in the Bible. It says that they turn the world upside down. Starting off with 12 people. 12 disciples of the Lord began to go, began to grow and began to grow. The day of Pentecost, 3,000 more getting saved. They're growing, they're growing. The next thing you know, the entire world knows about Jesus. In a day where that there were no cars, there were no trains, there were no phones, there were no microphones, there were, there were, no, there were no buildings to gather in because it was against the law. Did you know that? 
It was in a day of persecution. And so Christians had to meet in secret. And if your neighbor found out that you were meeting with others, they could go tell the authorities and you would be thrown in jail or killed just simply because you were meeting with believers in your house. And yet in that environment, the church thrived and turned the world completely upside down. And in today's world, well, we have all the freedoms to do whatever we want to, and nothing happens. Something's wrong. Something's very wrong. And I think it boils down, there are several things going on. I'm just not going to get into to more of those things. But two important things I think that it comes to is that we as Christians have become so pacified with someone telling us what we're supposed to believe and reading to us on Sundays and we never crack the Bible the rest of the week on our own. Christians today do not know the Word of God very well at all. And the early Christians did. There was a group called the Bereans. You heard of them? They were being preached to and you know what they did? They said, hold on, hold on. This all sounds weird. I need to get my Bible out and see what it says. And they began searching the Scriptures to prove whether what was being told about Jesus was true or not. When does that happen today? We just take whatever anyone says and believe it. If it doesn't come from here, it's not believable. It has to be in the Word. And so today's Christians, if we would simply get into the Word and begin understanding things. And then the second thing is if we would walk with the presence of the Lord with us, we would change the world that's around us. That's exactly what happened in the early days. It's not that they had these huge meetings and, and these big revivals and filled arenas full of people and getting people saved by the hundreds and thousands and giving altar. That, that wasn't happening at all. All of the spread of Christianity was, help, was, was happening by one-on-one -on -one methods. It was the way that people lived their everyday life around their neighbors. And people would be like, you know, there's something different about this person. Or they would see someone going through something and they'd be like, I don't understand how you're dealing with this. And all of a sudden it opens up and gives you a chance to explain how the Holy Spirit is with you to help you with your situations that you find yourself in. And so that is exactly what was going on in the early days. And it's the very thing that we are missing in today's church. If we could begin to understand those things, we would see change begin to happen. And I believe there's a remnant of Christians who who are recognizing those things and they understand that we are coming into the last days and things are going to change. And who's to say within a year we may not be able to meet in this building anymore? We don't know. We don't know what's coming down God's calendar and exactly what freedoms that we could lose as far as, as, as meeting and, and being believers and gathering together like we do today and the way that we do church. And you know what? Maybe church needs a shake-up. There are countries in the world where it is illegal, such as China. 
to even own a Bible. A single page of Scripture is like gold to some of those Christians in China. That was the Lord. How would we do if that was the environment that we lived in here? It bothers me to no end to see some of the things. If you're on social media and and, uh, Facebook and various things and and you you see Christians just lashing out at people. Being so hurtful and negative toward people. And the Jesus that I know and that I've read about wasn't like that. People that were hurting, he cared about them. He wanted better for them. And we almost, as as a modern church, have this spirit of, we don't want people to be better. That's the truth. That is the truth. We see someone who's living in sin and the first thing we want to do is condemn them and push them down further. And I don't believe, I don't believe that's biblical. Jesus told people to change their life, but you know what? He was kind to them. Gave them a reason to want to listen to what He had to say. Showed them a different path that they could be on. And told them to go out and and do what I told you. Walk in this path. You won't find him condemning anyone in the way that you see people today doing. It's gotten to the point, and and this is the reason I'm, I'm telling you that, that Christians are the ones who are killing Christianity. There are so many people that I know personally who feel and equate uh, Christians as a hate group just like a radical Muslim. People I know here in Tipton County who feel that Christianity is hateful, filled with people who are racist, filled with people who have hate and condemnation and judgment for everyone. I'm serious. There are people that I know just like that. And the, that's the sad point, is that the church is full of those people. And so my challenge to you today is let's not be one of those. Let's be something different than what the world sees as a typical Christian of today. You see, a few years back when America would claim to be a Christian nation, and you would walk down the street and you could ask anyone, are you a Christian? And they would say, well, of course I am. I'm American, aren't I? Of course I'm a Christian. There's our problem. People began equating being an American. It's patriotic to be a Christian because this is a Christian nation. Therefore, being a Christian is like being an American. Doesn't have anything to do with how I live, whether I know Jesus or not. It's just that's what I say. Because of that, 
it began. And so today, people now, the whole culture has shifted. There's a number of people in America who would say, America shouldn't be a Christian nation. They would say America is not a Christian nation. And it depends on kind of which way you look at it as to whether it is or not. If you were an outsider and you looked at the leadership of this country, I'd say no. Doesn't matter which party they belong to. I've seen very few that I would call Christians that are in leadership. But if you look at a, a number of people, there are Lots of Christians still in this country. But every day those numbers will continue to dwindle if Christians don't continue to reach out to people. Because they're being filled full of lies and, and things that the enemy would throw at them through all kinds of channels and they begin to believe these things. And it gets to the point where that people will say, well, if that's what a Christian is, I don't want to be one of those. So how do you begin witnessing to people in an environment where they don't want to be what you are? How do you convert someone to Christianity when they don't want to be a Christian? Because of the stigma that goes along with that. That's where the second thing comes in. If you walk with the presence of the Lord, a change will be evident. And people will begin to realize, you know, this guy says that he's a Christian, but he sure, he sure doesn't act like these other Christians that I've met before. Something different. And God can place people in your life that you can reach, but you'll never reach them if you're walking a double standard. Matthew chapter 5. Let's get ready to wrap up there. Matthew chapter 5, verse 13. We're going to read just a little uh, piece. Probably most of us have read or heard this before. But I want you to notice something in this spot. Something very important that we need to grab hold of. Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth. But what good is salt... If it's lost its flavor. Can you make it salty again? It will be thrown out and trampled underfoot as worthless. You are the light of the world. Like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket. Instead a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see, 
so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. In verse 14, we've all heard that song, this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. I don't want to offend anyone, but I really don't like that song very well. I know we teach it to kids and everyone sung that song, but my problem is this, I don't have a little light. Jesus made it very plain. And he said, you, you, you are the light. We are the light. We talk about letting the light of Jesus shine in the world. And Jesus is the light to the world. But Jesus made it very clear. And he said, I'm the light. But you're the light too. Because you have me inside you. You are the light. Not a little light. A big light. Full of the Holy Spirit. We have to grab hold of that concept. That we are enough. That's where people get hung up. They think they have, and, and, and we're taught that. And, and again, I don't want to offend anyone about that song. If you love that song, then okay. But I don't feel it's very scriptural. Truthfully, there's a lot of songs we sing sometimes in church that aren't all that scriptural. But I'll leave that for another day. On that song, if we grow up thinking we just have a little light, we're only going to do a little bit. Do you see it? But if we know that we are the light that Jesus has placed in our place, in our community, and in our home, and in our neighborhoods, if we know that we are that light, we are going to shine much brighter because we recognize who we are. There is today's church problem. We don't know who we are in the Lord. And so we allow the enemy to tell us that we're this and that we're that. And we allow people around us to influence uh, who we feel that we are in Christ. And if it doesn't come straight from the word, we know what God has said we are. And Jesus said, you are the light. Now go shine. That's exactly what he wants. We sang a new song tonight earlier, and we're going to sing it again. And this is how we're going to wrap our service up tonight with our, uh, with our altar time. I want us to sing this song out as our prayer to the Lord tonight. That the Lord is going to help us to be everything that He has made us to be. We are the light of the world. Only through the power of Jesus 
Jesus came. He lived his life. He fulfilled his purpose. And he's in heaven. He's not here. His body is not here. When he went to heaven, the disciples knew it because he released his spirit. And so when Jesus said, you are the light of the world, he was telling them of what was about to happen. When the Holy Spirit would fill their life, they would become the Jesus that people would see. And so in our world now, we are the only Jesus that some people are ever going to see. And if we show them the wrong Jesus, then Lord help us. There are people that you will be in contact with that I will never see. There are people that I see each week, every day, that you may never know. The Lord has placed us all in a particular place. And we have to take hold of who we are and be Jesus exactly where we are. We have to let our light shine out that those around us will see. I encounter a good majority of people that I spend every day with are not Christians, do not go to church, and don't want to. That's, that's just pretty common nowadays. It's not like it was years ago where everybody got up on Sunday morning and went to church. Very few get up and go to church on Sundays anymore. You can drive down the street on the way here, and, and even this morning, um, most every house that I pass on the way here down, down Beaver Road, uh, someone was outside doing something in the yard, and, and very few looked like that they, had, that they were going to church. It's not the way that it is anymore. And so you're going to encounter people like that. It's not like it used to be where people who are living in sin wake up one day, you know, and be like, you know, I'm just tired of this. I'm going to church and I'm going to get right with the Lord. Now that's happened in the past and it very rarely happens anymore. But you know what? Church wasn't created for unsaved people to come get saved. Church was made to build up the believers to go out and reach the world. And so we're going to close tonight by singing this song out again that Megan led earlier. And we're going to make this our prayer tonight. I want to invite you guys, let's stand. Come and let's gather around toward the front and let's sing this song.